welcome to the Atmosphere Church Podcast. On behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this message. We pray that it will touch your heart and change your life. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. Our desire is to help lead you in experiencing God by following Jesus. If you want to find out more information about us, head over to our website at atmosphere.church. We have already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. Enjoy the message. This whole series was birthed out of a little trip I took at the beginning of July when typically I like to get a hold of God and, and start kind of mapping out where he has us going as a church. And we're still a baby church. So there's all kinds of hopes and dreams I have being a baby church of where God's taken us. But COVID has thrown a curve at us. And so I found myself in July just really frustrated as a church pastor. Like, man, so many things that we wanted to do. And, and now it's just like uh, so much has been put on hold. And I don't even know, God, like what you're saying, like how we can even move forward as a church. Like, God, I don't even know like what, what we're going to do in September. And then I felt the Holy Spirit in that moment say, I want you to seek my face and I will show you the direction you ought to go. And obviously it's a no-brainer, right? We, we need to do that anyway. But now especially because there's so much unknown in so many things. The church, our families, our careers, sports. I mean, all across the board. I mean, it's just, there's so much unknown and we have to get a hold of God. And it just makes sense to me. The most transformative times of my life personally have been in seasons of heavy prayer. And, and I know it's a discipline that we all recognize, we, we all know that it's something we ought to do, but it's also something that we would all probably go on record and say that we're not doing enough. That probably, if we're honest with ourselves, we, we need to pray more. And so I'm excited that God has directed us, I believe, into a second round of a 21-day prayer challenge as a church because I believe as we get a hold of God, he is going to show up and give us the direction and we will be ahead of the curve. So when the rest of humanity is going around the curve, we'll already be there and say, God directed us here. Welcome to the party. You know, that, that's, I believe, what he wants to do. But in order for us to get there, we have to pray. And my swag today is brought to you by Pray.com. They gave me a shirt and, and, and uh, gave me a, a little tour of their whole website. And, and I appreciate what they're doing and what they're about because prayer is so important, especially in the craziness of where we're at. I told you guys this before, but I feel like we're living in a bad episode of The Twilight Zone. Is anybody else with me on that? Just like just is every day is weird. And I went to thinking like this looks going to last weeks and to like, well, it's going to last months. And are you serious? Are we going to like look at this for years? And, and it's just weird. It's real turbulent. And what the Lord showed me was he showed me what happens 
when I get on a flight, typically a flight out of Vegas, and many of you haven't flown out of Vegas, but Vegas can be a pretty crazy place to fly out of. A lot of you don't know that Vegas is actually the real windy city. <laughs> I have flown out of Vegas, out of McCarran, where there are gusts of 70, 80 miles an hour, and the, the tower gave clearance to take off. And I don't know how many of you have taken off in, in wind gusts like that, but it just, let's just say, it's like makes for a rodeo ride <laughs> as you're taking off. And then on top of that, I have flown out in, in the summertime in Vegas where there's monsoons. and I mean, these really crazy storm cells that just come in out of nowhere in, in the afternoon. And the flight is going, you know, right around the clouds. And I'm already a nervous flyer. I don't know if you're a nervous flyer, but I'm the guy that that before the plane takes off, I mean, I'm like grabbing my whole row saying, let's pray, because, you know, you never know. I'm that guy, right? I'm just like, I'll hold hands with whoever's next to me. I don't care about social distance. Like, man, this could be it. And, you know, as you take off in, in wind and you take off in a storm, I mean, things are bouncing around pretty good in that airplane. You know, if you get the, the window by the, the, you know, the wing and the wing is flapping, you're like, is that thing going to break off, you know, and, and everything's rattling in the plane. And then I always look at the stewardesses because I'm like, if they look nervous, I'm going to lose it, right? So I'm looking at this, okay, they seem calm and, and okay, we're good, but I'm like nervous and, I'm, and everything's rattling and it's climbing and climbing and then pretty soon, you know, you're going through the clouds and there is that moment. It's like the miracle moment. You get above the clouds. You get above all of the, the wind that is the ground wind. And you're just there. You level off. Things calm down. And then you hear that voice of heaven that sounds like this. Ding! You are now free to move about the cabin. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. It's like, now what? when you get to that place, you have been elevated to a place that is above the turbulence most of the time. And it's in that turbulence that it seems like we're living in. But God has desired us, even in the face of all of this COVID and all of this uncertainty and all of this unknown and all of this anxiety, God, as his kids, wants us to live above the clouds in airplane mode. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to live in airplane mode. So that stewardess comes in there and says, turn your phone to airplane mode. Why? Because you want to stamp out all the noise. Because here's the promise of God. 2 Timothy 3 verse 1. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. We know that we're in the last days because there's, there's terrible times. But here's the promise of God. In addition to that verse, it says in Acts 2.17, in the last days... So if you believe we're in the last days because there's terrible times, you also have to believe it's in the last days for Acts 2. And it says, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Here's what I've discovered. When darkness ramps up, God lifts up a standard against the darkness that is trying to ramp up. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 19 talks about this phenomenon. It says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. What I like to say is when darkness rises, God does his best work. When everything's in chaos, God does his most powerful work. 
And history shows us this, and the Bible shows us this time and time again, that, that there's almost a cyclical nature to history. I don't know if you've seen this or not. But there's such a cyclicalness to history that the future can almost be predictable. Historians will tell you this. Sociologists will tell you this. This is interesting. I ran into an article this last week, dated 2012. And they were talking about some of the cyclical nature of violence in America over the past you know, 400 years or whatever, even before we became an official nation. And this sociologist that wrote this article said that in 2020, we will experience one of the most violent years in a long, long time. And, and I thought to myself, wow, this must have been written like last month. And I had to go check the date. No, it was 2012. Because this historian, this sociologist, saw the predictability within the cycle of history. And let me tell you, there's been cycles in our history that have been very, very dark. But there's also been movements of God after the darkness started to kind of sink in. And this has been going for a long, long time. I was watching a video this week, and I, I had to play it for you today because in 1857, there was a man of God that had a vision to do a prayer meeting during the weekday, during lunch hour, for businessmen in the area to see a movement of God happen. And it was called the Great Prayer Awakening of 1857. One man, one vision, and it was focused on prayer. And it was in the face of some really uncertain times, and God did some incredible things. Watch this video. The United States, 1857. Slavery, rebellion, rumors of war. In three years, Americans would turn on each other and make history. But in 1857 New York City, history, the kind textbooks don't mention, was already happening. The date was September 23rd. A Christian layman named Jeremiah Lamphere held his first ever businessman's prayer meeting in Lower Manhattan. It was not, by all accounts, a rousing success. He passed out flyers for weeks. Six men attended. Two weeks later, the stock market crashed. Thousands of families lost all they had, and one of the greatest spiritual awakenings the world has ever seen began. Week by week, Jeremiah Lamphere's tiny lunch hour prayer meeting grew larger and larger. By December, his six men had become 10,000 men, and they met not every week, but every day. The New York newspapers took notice, and when word spread to other cities, spontaneous revival broke out across the country. In Cleveland and St. Louis, thousands of people packed downtown churches and theaters three times each day just to pray. In Chicago, churches had to have waiting lists for people wanting to teach Sunday school. And all across America, pastors were baptizing 20,000 new believers every week. The revival eventually spread around the world. In England, entire towns were converted. Some towns disbanded their police force because of a lack of crime. And so many people came to Christ, churches had to hold services outside just to accommodate the crowds. The world had seen nothing like it, before or since. Global revival. God started it with one man. It changed the course of history. And now, in today's world, people need to know, can history repeat itself? 
Can it happen again? And I believe it can. Can you imagine that? In one week, over 20,000 people baptized, surrendering their life to God. But more in modern history, there was this phenomenon in the 70s called the Jesus Revolution. How many remember that besides Pastor Phil? He was a part of that. He was a byproduct of that. And by the way, today's his birthday. So happy birthday to Pastor Phil. But I've asked him questions about this movement. Of course, you know, here were all these hippies that were doing all these crazy drugs. And it was in, in a time that there was so much unrest within, you know, civil rights, within the Vietnam War, the Cold War between the U.S. and Russia. There was so much craziness that prior to the Jesus Revolution, Time Magazine in 1966 put this magazine cover out. They said, is God dead? Is God dead? And it was one of those things that nobody could really see any hope that was going on with culture. It was so dark. And here, fast forward five years, a new cover of Time Magazine, and it was called The Jesus Revolution. And according to this article, I said, Jesus is alive and well and living in the radiant spiritual fervor of a growing number of young Americans. I mean, stadiums in the 1970s were being packed out of young people going to crusades to hear about Jesus. The article went on to say, if any one mark clearly identified them, it was their total belief in an awesome supernatural Jesus Christ, not just a marvelous man who lived 2,000 years ago, but a living God. If you were to look at the common denominator between the revival of 1857 and the Jesus Revolution of the 1970s, prayer was the catalyst for all of this to happen. We can't organize a move of God, but we can agonize for that move of God, and that's where prayer comes in. Folks, let me tell you, it's dark out there, but I believe we are on the eve of Jesus Revolution 2.0. I mean, I mean, the circumstances surrounding us are perfect conditions for a movement of God that can come where 50 years from now, 2020 won't be remembered as coronavirus. It will be remembered as the time that Christ came in a powerful way and lives were changed and people were healed, families were restored. I'm believing that 2020 gets remembered for that. There's churches all over the nation that are standing on this Old Testament promise found in 2 Chronicles 7:14. Some of you have heard it before. Some of you have prayed this before. But it says this. It says, "If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. In context, what's happening here is this is God's response from the king of Israel responding to the temple being completed. In chapter 6, King Solomon is just crying out to God. He's just worshiping God. He's like, God, this, is, this happened. Like, we just want to honor you. He rallied the nation together under God to say, God, we need you. We don't we don't want to just live our lives without you. We want you to be the center of our lives. That's the prayer in chapter 6. And this is the response in chapter 7, verse 1. When Solomon finished praying, 
fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and they gave thanks to the Lord saying, he is good, his love endures forever. What we see is chapter 7, verse 14, is God saying, if you want me to do this, keep doing what you've been doing. Keep seeking my face. Keep humbling yourself. Keep praying, and I will continue to meet you in powerful ways. Folks, if we want to see God do incredible things with our culture, it is given right here what we need to be. We need to be people that are humbling ourselves that are praying, that we're seeking his face and turning from our wicked ways, and he is going to come in powerful ways. There's over 500 churches right now that have agreed to take the month of August and dedicate 21 days of prayer. That means every day as a church, corporately, we're coming together to pray together and believing for God to do great and powerful things. R.A. Torrey was a famous evangelist in the 19th and early 20th century. He's a friend of Dwight L. Moody, who's another evangelist. In this revival in 1917 at Moody Bible Institute, he said this, and I love this. It says, let a few of God's people, they don't need to be many, get thoroughly right with God themselves. The rest will count for nothing unless you start right there. Then let them band themselves together to pray for a revival until God opens the heavens and comes down then let them put themselves at God's disposal to use them as he sees fit. That will bring a revival to any church in any community. And I believe R.A. Torrey was right. See, before a revival happens out there, a revival has to happen in here. And this is where the 21-day prayer challenge kicks in. It's because I will tell you, I have witnessed something as a pastor of a new church, but not just this church, but the churches that I'm also networked with. These other churches are experiencing the same phenomenon. Do you know since COVID hit, we have seen 25% of active followers of Jesus disengage with their faith. 25%. That's one in four, folks. And it's not because all of a sudden they didn't believe. It's because what's happened is we've gotten out of our routines. We've gotten out of our hobbies. You know, a lot of people, they go to the gym. I mean, it's like me. It's like it, it's a detoxing of the soul. And so what's happened is we filled those voids with content that I would say probably haven't been the best for us, putting us in some really dark headspace. And I know before the shutdown happened, like we were just coming off the first season of prayer. Our church was never alive as much as it was alive after that first 21 days. I mean, people were just working their faith at another, another level. I was like, wow, we're, we're on the brink of seeing something powerful, and then COVID hit. And I watched some of these people that for the first 21 days, that were all excited, that were all ready to see God do great and powerful things with their lives, with their families' lives, and, and even in our community, not even want to read their Bibles, not want to watch church online. And as a pastor, that just disheartens me so much. I can't tell you 
how many nights I can't even sleep because I'm thinking about you guys. I'm talking to Tara. We were just talking last night. Have you, have you heard from so-and-so? What about, what about this family? You know, are, are they reading their Bibles? I mean, are, are they still even like worshiping God? It's really sad. So I believe these next 21 days are gonna be a jump start for your heart. Sounds like an 80s rock song. Jump start your heart. I don't know. <laughs> I'm an 80s guy, so. But I believe God is ordering for you a jump start of your heart because there are things that he's desiring to do inside of you. There are things he's desiring to, you to, uh, to experience as a spouse. There are things that he's desiring you to experience as a parent, as a child, as, as, a, as a person that works for a business. I mean, there are great and powerful things that God is looking at doing, but it's going to take a jump start of your heart that I believe is only going to be found through prayer. You know what it says in Colossians 4.2? It says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. I went and I looked at devote again. It means really to, you know, to, to commit to it. But I, I love how this other uh, description of it, it, it means to adhere to something. I, and I thought of tape, right? I, I thought of like the, the magic of duct tape. You know, how many use duct tape to fix anything in your house? I'm from Bakersfield. All we sell in the hardware store is duct tape. Come on. And I live there. I can say that. <laughs> but but there's so, what makes it so good is there's, there's stickiness to the tape. And what I believe being devoted to prayer does is it creates stickiness with our lives. And there's some of us that we feel like we've lost our stickiness. And I'm telling you, the stickiness is not found in you learning more about the Bible or you going and educating yourself and watching YouTube videos. Your stickiness is dependent on you connecting with God in prayer. That's where you experience change for your life. I'm not dismissing reading the Bible. That's important too. I believe that's really part of your prayer life. But don't ever replace prayer with something else, thinking that it's going to suffice. The stickiness of your life depends on the adherence to your prayer life. I like to say it like this, and this is going to be our mantra in this whole series, is prayer needs to be our first response, not our last resort. You know last resort prayers. God, if you just get me out of this situation... <laughs> I would be committed to you for the rest of my life. That's a last resort prayer. What would our life look like if before we did anything, we prayed? When we wake up in the morning, the first thing we do is we pray. Before we eat, the first thing we do is we pray. Before we even go to bed, before we sleep, we pray. What, what happens before we go into that meeting at work or get on that Zoom call? We pray. What if instead of sending that text message out, we pray first? Come on, some of you, you need to pray a lot before you send that text or send that email. But our lives would look so different. And so we want to adopt this idea that we want prayer to be our first response, not our last resort. And we are going to see God show up and move powerfully in our lives. And as God moves more in our lives, God has the capacity to move more in our community. But we all know we need to pray more. 
Why don't we? I believe there's two big reasons, big ideas. There's probably more than that, but here are the biggest ideas of, in my experience of being a pastor for all the years that I've been. Number one, it can be intimidating. It can be intimidating to pray. What do I pray? How do I pray? I hear these pastors pray, and I can never pray like that. That pastor prays in King James. Oh, Lord, thou loveth me, and thou, thou knoweth me, and I loveth thou, and these and thous. You're like, I don't know how to pray like that. And, and then others of you, you, you've like circled up with friends, and do you have a friend that just prays so beautifully, and you're like, I don't want to pray next to them. Like, I want to sound like an idiot. Like, so have you ever like done circle prayer where you're grabbing hands, and, and you know, the leader says, hey, if you don't want to pray, like squeeze the hand of the person next to you, and then that way they know you passed. It's like, I did that when I was first coming back to church and getting involved. Like, I would do the, the prayer circle, and they would be like, hey, squeeze the hand if you want to pass the prayer. Before the first person was even done, I was squeezing next person's hand like pass me come on I don't want to pray and I messed the whole prayer circle up people would be praying over each other I messed it up why because I was just intimidated I think it started though when I was four years old because you know my grandma bless her heart she she made this pillowcase for me and and she she loved the Lord but she put on this pillowcase this prayer and, and she wanted me to memorize this prayer and I did remember it because I saw it on my pillowcase every night and, and the prayer went like this now I lay me down to sleep how many know this prayer? I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, just come on, parents, don't give your four-year-old a prayer like that, all right? And it's, I pray the Lord my soul to take. It traumatized me as a little boy. I'm still in therapy, all right? But, but it, it, it just, it's intimidating. So you look at prayers, like, I don't even know how to do it. So I, I just, I don't do it. It's, it's demotivating. And here's the second reason. It can feel ineffective. Because I'm sure you've had situations before that have popped up and you're like, I'm taking this before God. I'm letting my pastor agree with me in prayer. And you, you told everybody on Facebook, hey, pray for me. Everyone was praying for you. And the final result was nothing that you wanted, nothing that you prayed for. And so possibly you just dismiss prayer and saying, this is ineffective. Or maybe you've been like a lot of my friends over the years that have told me, when I pray, it just feels like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Like, I, I, there's just this disconnect, and I don't really feel that God hears my prayers. And I really believe this is where Luke 11 comes in. This is where the Lord's Prayer comes in, because I believe the disciples had very similar experiences. They knew how to pray. They were taught prayers. They memorized prayers as, as Jewish uh, young Jewish kids and knowing the Torah and memorizing prayers. But this is what the disciples asked Jesus. It says in verse 1, it says, It happened that while Jesus was praying at a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And they noticed something. That even though Jesus prays like, like we pray, there's something different about his prayers. Because when he prays, things change. When he prays, the blind see again. When he prays, the lame walk again. When he prays, the sick are healed. When he prays, the dead are raised. Like, our prayers aren't like that. So here's just a really honest question. Teach us to pray like that. Like, we pray but when we pray, we don't get results. Matter of fact, uh, Matthew chapter 6, it talks about the Lord's Prayer in that particular passage. And it uses this expression that Jesus responds to these guys. He says, pray then in this way. 
And then in Luke, going back to that, verses two through four, here, here's, he's saying, pray in this way. Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So Jesus said, in this manner, pray like this. Now, let me go on record to tell you that I do not believe Jesus gave us this prayer and said, if you just memorize this prayer, and every time you talk to God, you recite this particular prayer word by word, it's going to be a magical prayer. I do not believe that's the intention. Now, if you memorize the Lord's Prayer, I'm not slamming you. I'm not saying that, uh, that anything is wrong with that. It can actually be good in the sense that it reminds you to pray. But if you can pray a recited prayer and you open your mouth and words are coming out of your mouth, but you're thinking about your lunch at Cheesecake Factory, (laughs) that's not your way of effective praying. That's not what Jesus is saying here. I believe what Jesus has given us here is not a recital, but it's more of an outline. When, when you're entering into pray, pray in this manner, pray, take these bullet points, if you're an outliner, take these, these uh, subject lines and make sure you cover these subject lines and you're going to pray powerful prayers. I call this Jesus-style prayer. This is Jesus-style prayer. And you're going to see four subject lines, four bullet points, write these down, relationship. We're going to talk about that in five minutes. And then next week, we'll talk about this next one, which is partnership. Then we'll talk about forgiveness. Then we'll talk about deliverance. So as you walk through Jesus's outline for prayer, he says, the things that you see coming from my life are going to start coming from your life. And Jesus would often sneak away just to pray so they knew that he had a habit and a lifestyle of prayer. So let me just break this down for you in five minutes and I'll get you guys out of here because I know it's hot. And now that I said Cheesecake Factory, a lot of you are hungry, all right? So verse two, it says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is the relationship. So Jesus says, if you want to pray powerful prayers, it begins with acknowledging the relationship that you have with God. Because let me tell you something maybe nobody else has told you about. Your view of God impacts your relationship with God. So if your view of God is he's a God that can't wait to strike you dead because you watched something you shouldn't have watched or you said something you shouldn't have said or you went somewhere that you shouldn't have went and if you're thinking like this is the God, it's gonna be very difficult for you to enter into this kind of prayer. The God has invited us in not formally, but relationally, saying, call me dad. And I know that may trigger some of you because you didn't have the best relationship with dad. But maybe don't think of your relationship with dad. Think about Pa Ingalls from Little House on the Prairie. Think of that dad. Think of how he was just there. He just always had the right thing to do, and and he just was there. I mean, this is kind of the relationship. God is saying, I want to enter into a relationship with you that I'm not some faraway God that is just waiting to kind of get you and and get your family, but I'm a God that comes close. The, The whole process of Jesus coming to earth is God's declaration to us, I don't want to be a faraway God. I want to be close to you. 
I, I will tell you that prayer is not a button to be pushed. It's a relationship to be pursued. If you're just approaching God saying, God, I need this and need this and need this, that, that is not what God is after. God is after a relationship with you. He wants you to climb up into his lap as, as a child. Listen to how Romans says this in 8 verse 15. It says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. Now, I'm a dad of three kids. You just met my youngest, Josiah, and obviously he's not so young anymore, but there was a time that feels like yesterday. Come on, parents of adult children. It goes fast. But I remember a time that feels like yesterday where they would climb up in my lap and just want me to read to them, and I would just sit there with them. I mean, that is the sweetest time as a parent when your child just wants to be with you. And, and now that they're adults, it's a little different. They're not climbing on my lap asking them to read a book, but, but they will have moments where they'll say, hey, dad, uh, man, I had the craziest day. And I'm just like, wow, they just want to talk to me. My 20-year-old just wants to talk. Wow, it feels so good. See, God just wants us to be with him. Somebody once said, the reason God speaks in whisper is so that we'll be forced to come close to him. Because it's all about the relationship, church. So that's our father in heaven. He's your dad. And he wants you to come to him and approach him as your dad in heaven. Secondly, is hallowed be your name. That doesn't mean God's name is hallowed. That means, the word hallowed means to render or to declare sacred or holy. So even though it's true that we are to enter into prayer, that he's our dad, he wants a relationship, he's our dad, but he's not a dude. You know, when I was a youth pastor, I had 15-year-olds that didn't really know anything about God, but they were there to check out the girls or whatever they were doing, and, and they would come, and we would pray, and, and they would feel like, oh, I'm going to pray, too. I'm going to try this prayer thing out, and they would say, hey, dear God, dude, bro, and, you know, bless their hearts. I'd have to talk to them like, yeah, okay, you know, I, I appreciate you praying out loud, but hey, next time, God is not a dude. He's not a bro. He's holy. His name is magnificent, and we need to honor him this way. This is where worship enters into our prayer life. See, worship is not a separate spiritual discipline. Worship is a part of our prayer life. When we're worshiping God, we're declaring to God the name of God, the name that is greater than any trouble in our life. This is the importance of worship for us. Because we can be drowning in all of this content that's around us, telling us how horrible our troubles are, how ginormous our troubles are. But let me tell you something about worship with God. When you begin to magnify the name of God, you minimize the troubles of your life. Let me say that one more time because somebody here needs to hear that. When you begin to magnify the name of God, you minimize the troubles of your life. Why? Because when you start reminding your soul of the greatness of God, you will remind your soul that no matter how great the trouble is, your God is greater than the trouble. And sometimes the trouble's great, but God is greater than the trouble. And when you are worshiping, when you're calling on the names of God, that he is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. He, Jehovah Nisi is the banner over us. All of the names of God and the names go on and on. He is a wonderful counselor, the Prince of Peace, Almighty God, Everlasting Father. He's all of these things. And it's amazing to me how 
the name of God can be really uh, instrumental in bringing us a reality, a dose, that God is so much greater than any difficulty that's in our life. I like to say it this way. Worship is your warfare. Some of you have been battling in your minds and in your souls, and it's exhausting. Maybe you feel attacked. Maybe you feel some strongholds have moved in in the season because of things that you've allowed into your life. I'm telling you right now that worship is your warfare, that God has the capacity to send every demonic principality that has tried to come against your mind and your soul and he can completely break it because there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of declaring God's name as you pray, as you remember the names of God. There's a story in the Old Testament and it's found in that same book that we talked about earlier, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And it's the story of King Jehoshaphat who was surrounded by some enemy armies and, and he was outnumbered. And he knew that if God didn't move for him, they would sure be defeated. So he calls a national prayer and fasting. And he starts calling out to God saying, God, we need you. We, we have no other solution. We just need your power. We need your, we need your help to have a victory. And in the midst of their prayer session, a word was given to them through one of their prophets and says, God's given you the victory. You just need to show up. Man, that fire just Jehoshaphat all up. He's like, man, all right. He believed God was going to give him the victory. So what he did is the next day he goes out there and the armies were there, camped around him. And he's like, oh, man, here we go. God's given us the victory. We believe it. And he was so amped. He was so excited about this word that God gave him. He told the band, like, hey, remember how we were praising yesterday? He says, go out in front of the army and start praising the name of God. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be so cool. Now, I can just imagine him telling that to his worship leader. Like, go in front of the swords. Go in front of the guns and just start worshiping God. I can just imagine me telling Julian, hey, man, I know those guys have tanks and, and they have bullets, but you have the voice of God. Just go and proclaim. Julian would be like, I need some confirmations for that one. All right? But this is what happened. And he goes out there, and they start proclaiming the name of God. God descended on the surrounding armies, and they were defeated in that moment. Great story. You should read it this week. All that to say, worship is your warfare. And I believe as we worship God, there is a war declared on your mind. There's a war declared on your soul. And there's also a war declared on our surroundings. The strongholds are being broken. Freedom is being raised. Healing is being given as we proclaim the name of God, that he's the name above all names, and that he is far greater than any difficulty in our life. Would you stand to your feet? We're going to end with a worship song, and I want you to sing it like it is warfare for your life, that when you're singing this song, when you're declaring this, that you're knowing that God is fighting for your marriage, that God is fighting for your family, that God is fighting for your health, and that as you declare the name of God, that the name of God is greater than any trouble that is in your life. Let's worship, church. 
Thank you for tuning in today to another great message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on Spotify, iTunes Podcast, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms, and then click the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our family. For more information about our church, go to our official website at atmosphere.church. Finally, if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you? To make a donation, simply go to our website and click the link that says Give. Your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Until next time, we pray you will keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love.